0: Bonjour, bonsoir, good morning, good afternoon, capaz mi amigos, shalom, wassalam alaikum, namaste, konnichiwa, Wendell's World of Sports just giving you a preview of what I'm going to be speaking about today before I begin. As always, here's what I need for you to do. I need for you to go to where you listen to your favorite podcast, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. And I need for you to download and rate and review and subscribe and follow the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, W-E-N-D-E, Double L Apostrophe S. World and Sports, rate, review, download, follow, and most importantly, enjoy. On the podcast today, you know I'm going to be speaking about what's happened in the NFL. You know I'm going to be taking a look at some of the storylines from the past week, Week 12, when you're speaking about the rise of the New England Patriots, a 36-13 beatdown of the faltering of the injury-riddled Tennessee Titans. I'll go ahead and take a look at what the Patriots have been doing. Go ahead and talk about the Tampa Tom Buccaneers. Talk about their status, always growing, getting strong, as they look to supersede such teams as the Arizona Cardinals and the Green Bay Packers to be the number one seed or to be the favorites to repeat as champions this NFL season. So I'll go ahead and take a look at that situation there, take a look at that defense, take a look at a more balanced offense, go ahead and go through the standings of the AFC and the NFC, talk about the division leaders, talk about the wildcard teams, talk about the teams that are on the outside looking in, talk about the teams that have no shot at all by taking a look at the upcoming NFL draft in terms of if the season ended today, which I know it doesn't, but if the season ended today, your team of mediocrity, your team of dysfunction, your team of just having been bad for this season, where do they stack up in terms of the worst teams in the league as far as the draft is concerned, I go ahead and talk about that. Then, my goodness gracious, I go ahead and I talk about what is happening with the world of college football. No, I'm not going to get into Michigan's beatdown of Ohio State. I'm not going to be getting in any of that. I'm not going to be talking about the the smack talk that Jim Harbaugh was laying down on the born-at-third-base Ryan Day of Ohio State, and I'm not going to be getting in any of that because, man, what is going on at USC? What is going on at LSU? What's going to be happening with Oklahoma? What's going to be happening with Notre Dame? Everything topsy-turvy. Uh, Brian Kelly goes to LSU uh Lincoln Riley goes to USC what does that mean for Pac-12 football what does it mean for LSU what does it mean for Oklahoma moving forward why exactly did Lincoln Riley feel he had to leave why did uh Chip Kelly huh? why did Brian Kelly go ahead and take the offer to become LSU's next football coach I will go ahead and get into that action get into those discussions and Talk about the final four for college football now. Georgia number one, Michigan with their victory over Ohio State moves from number five to number two, Alabama number three, Cincinnati number four, Oklahoma State moves to number five in Notre Dame, number six, I will go ahead and take a look at those rankings, go ahead and take a look at the possibilities for change, if change is going to be made, this upcoming championship, conference championship, Saturday in college football, I'll talk about that, and of course, my goodness gracious, in the NBA, woo, man, them Phoenix Suns, hotter than a Midday in July Out there in the desert 17 games in a row Impressive victory over the Golden State Warriors I'm not saying that all of a sudden Now let's just give the LOB to the Phoenix Suns But a very impressive win For the Suns And now What are your thoughts and feelings about Phoenix? Because, you know, this season we've been talking about the greatness of the Golden State Warriors. We've been, you know, going on about what's going on with the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron James is now in protocol, so he's going to be missing a few games. And will Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and LeBron James be able to gel? Are they going to find anybody who can consistently shoot? Are they going to be able to find anybody that can play some defense? All of these storylines, when we're speaking about the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving, the Philadelphia 76ers and Ben Simmons, the... Uh, Milwaukee Bucks as reigning champion now with Giannis fully rip-roaring, ready to go as being one of the best, if not the best player in the game, if you uh, go ahead and want to uh, stack that up. All of these things that we've been talking about, all of these storylines, all of these uh, situations we've been talking about in the NBA, but the only time we've mentioned the Phoenix Suns was with this uh, jackass Robert Sarver. So it's now time to shine that spotlight nice and bright on the Phoenix Suns, and I do that on my podcast coming up. So there you go, man. I am I am ripped, roaring, ready to go. I'm excited about this podcast. I'm ready to record. I'm ready to bring you my thoughts and feelings. And remember, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-S, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. It's now time for the conductor, Wendell Wallace, to take you on a journey of what's happening in the world of sports right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Let's get This party started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's world in sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, rip, ruined, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Shalom, wassalamu alaykum, namaste, while Wendell's World in Sports, yours truly, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Good morning, good afternoon, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World and Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa mi amigos? Me amo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports before i go ahead and start speaking about what's happening in week 12 in the nfl before i start speaking about what's going on with the new england patriots before i go on and start talking about the tampa bay buccaneers before i start going ahead and start talking about who's the best team in the afc and the nfc and which games are coming up are going to be pivotal and which teams on the outside in the afc and the nfc for the wild card and for the division is going to be making that step before i get into the craziness what's happening with college football? My goodness gracious, Lincoln Riley going to USC now. Oklahoma needs a coach, and LSU needed a coach, but then they got Brian Kelly, and now Notre Dame needs a coach. And before I get into all this nonsense about Georgia being number one in the latest college football polls, followed by Michigan, followed by Alabama, followed by Cincinnati, followed by Oklahoma State, followed by Notre Dame, who could be making the college football playoffs and don't have a coach, What? What is going on with that? Before I get into all of that, before I get into the blazing, red hot, Phoenix Suns, 17 games in a row, can't call it a fluke just like you can't call it a comeback. The defending Western Conference champions are making a statement early in the season that, man, y'all can talk about LeBron James and Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis all y'all want to. You can go ahead and start talking about Donovan Mitchell and Joe Inglis and Rudy Gobert and Mike Connolly if you want to. You can go ahead and you can start talking about Nikola Jokic and now you can't even talk about Michael Porter Jr. anymore. You can start talking about the return of Jamal Murray if you want to. You can go ahead and start speaking about them Golden State Warriors, how within get Clay Thompson, they're going to be unbeatable. You can go ahead and speak all that nonsense. You can go ahead and speak all that noise. You can go ahead and even go to the East and start talking about, oh my goodness gracious, once the Philadelphia 76ers make a move to get rid of Ben Simmons, then they're going to be prominent. You can even talk about the defending NBA champions, the Milwaukee Bucks, how they're starting to come along, how they have their own little winning streak going, and Giannis is playing like an absolute monster. And you can talk about the Milwaukee Bucks getting over the hump, and now they're the favorites to win the championships and blah with the Phoenix Suns you can talk about that you could even talk about the Brooklyn Nets good victory last night over the New York Knicks James Harden starting to round himself into shape Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant when Kyrie Irving we're going to go on the assumption that when Kyrie Irving comes back that Brooklyn is going to be the favorites to win the NBA championship you can go ahead you can talk all that noise go ahead meanwhile Phoenix is just going to keep winning and winning into winning while their racist, misogynistic owner is being invested by, investigated by the NBA. Go ahead. I'll go ahead. Before I get into all of those things, and even before I get into my thumbs up about my Georgetown Hoyas, a victory, to victory fuck it, over Longwood, before I get into all of that stuff, I just have to ask you, because you know how much I care about you, from a deep personal connection. How are you doing? What's happening, man? What's going on? What is going on? You're doing everything that needs to be done to make your world, to make your block, to make your space, to make your place, to make your neighborhood a better place to be, to make your neighborhood and household as a better place to be? Are you doing everything that you need to do, shutting up and listening and learning? from those of a different race, from those of a different gender, from those of a different financial background, from those a different part of the world, from those who might speak a different language, from those who might love another person, from those who might worship another God, from those who might have a difference in political affiliations. Are you doing everything that needs to be done? Not for my sake, not for your sake. Too late for us. Too late for us. Too ignorant, too selfish, too racist, too close-minded, To have the society that we want to live in. But man, come on, man, do it for our children. Please, can we stop the bigotry? Can we stop the oppression? Can we stop the discrimination? Can we stop the closed mindedness? Can we stop the ignorance? Both sides of the track here, from every corner, when we're speaking about the neighborhoods, this is not directed at one person. This is not directed at one race. This is not directed at one gender. I'm talking about the totality of human beings. Can we please do what we need to do for our children's sake so 50, 100 years from now, damn, 20 years from now, they can be living in a place which is more of a society that's based on who you are as a human being and not based on the color of your skin, not based on where you're from in this world, not based on your gender not based on the privilege of your race, not based on the God that you love, not based on the person that you love, not based on your political affiliation, not based on your religion. Can we please start doing that right now? It would be nice. It would be helpful. And I would appreciate it. You would appreciate it. And Lord have mercy. Your children and their children and their children can appreciate it, man. Let's make sure that in the year 2046 that when the, sophomores and juniors in high school open up the school books and start speaking about what's going on in the year 2020 that they can look back and take a look at the ignorance and take a look at the selfishness and take a look at the bigotry and take a look at the oppression and take a look at the divisiveness of this country and this world and say, "Woo!" That was actually happening back then? Good Lord, thank goodness I don't live in a place like that anymore. Thank goodness I love my brothers and sisters, regardless if they're gay, regardless if they're fat, regardless if they're black, regardless if they're a woman, regardless if they're a man dressed as a woman, regardless if they're poor, regardless if they're from a different part of the world. Thank goodness that um, I have a much deeper understanding and tolerance of those people than those that that came around 40, 50, 60 years ago. So please... Let's go ahead and get that done, shall we? All right, since I got that out of the way, can we go ahead and talk about sports now? You ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Back there, are you ready? All right, man, let's go ahead and start talking about sports. Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell Wallace with you. So glad that you could be with with us. Week 12 of the NFL has passed. The storylines, New England Patriots, man, they just keep rocking and rolling. They just keep going on and on. The best team in the AFC. Who else are you gonna put in there this week? The one thing I will say about this: Look, they won their sixth straight game over the previous number one seed, the AFC Southern leading conference. Leading up until this past weekend, Tennessee Titans beat them pretty soundly, thirty-six to thirteen. Mac Jones threw two touchdown passes. New England's defense forced four turnovers. Jones, Mister Mac Jones, completed thirty-two. Excuse, excuse me, completed twenty-three of. 32 passes for 310 yards. Kendrick Bourne had both of the Patriots' touchdown receptions. He finished with five catches for 61 yards. It was not the you know similar statistically dominating performance i should say over the last five games when you take a look at the performance by the patriots and that score 36 to 13 really didn't tell the whole story it was a ball game going into the second half just speaking about the defense which has been so highly acclaimed over this winning streak for new england they gave up a season high 270 yards rushing to Tennessee including a long touchdown run that is more that they've given up in the past five or three games combined. And you're speaking about that rushing total for Tennessee, 270 yards themselves. Speaking about New England, they rushed for just um, 105 yards, only 23 in the first half. That's the fewest since their loss to the Tampa Tom Buccaneers back in the week four. They scored touchdowns on two of their five red zone opportunities. Mm -hmm. That goes back to the quarterback a little bit, right? But you know, overall, a win is a win and it's a statement win. The statement went to the fact that, you know what, yeah, you can go ahead and talk about A.J. Brown not being there and the the uh, injuries that has bestowed upon Tennessee. You can go ahead and talk about all that, but Tennessee still came into this ballgame with the number one seed in the AFC, and New England went ahead and uh, put the beat down on them, put the smack down on them, pretty doggone good. So... I'm guessing as of right now, man, I mean, you know, we can go ahead in a few moments and talk about the standings and the current updated standings of the AFC. You can go ahead and you can make your argument about Kansas City. They had a bye week, so there's really nothing in terms from a, a you know past weekend's performance to say, yeah, they're back. Yeah, they're stronger than ever or they're, you know, progressing at this rate or that rate. You can, you can talk about. The Kansas City football team. All you want to, you can go ahead and maybe talk about. Shoot, who's leading the? Uh, uh, who's up there leading the uh, South? You can talk about the. Or you can talk about the Baltimore Ravens. You can talk about those teams. You can talk about the surging Cincinnati Bengals. You can talk about Buffalo, who had a good win on Thanksgiving Day against the fading New England. Excuse me, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, You can't talk too much about the Los Angeles Chargers. You also can't talk too much about the Indianapolis Colts. After their losses, the Chargers lost much more embarrassing than what uh, Indianapolis put down, even though they handed that victory in so many ways to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, I I think as of right now, for the near future, I'm going to go with uh, New England. This is the reason why I'm going to go with New England. You know, we talked about it before, and I talked about it before on my podcast, Windows World and Sports, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. We, we, we I went ahead and talked about this. You know, the, the ever-changing top teams in the AFC, speaking about Kansas City, they started up they went down and now they're starting to build themselves back up the Buffalo Bills hiccup stumble the first week of the season to get the Pittsburgh Steelers they moved their way back up now they went and fell back down a little bit and now they're starting to work their way back up again we can speak about the Baltimore Ravens who really haven't stumbled too much but they have some inquisitive performances in both wins and losses so we, we really don't know what to make of that team. Lamar Jackson came back and was mediocre at best against the uh, Cleveland Browns. A non-COVID-related illness kept him out of a couple of games. So, you know, we're going to, to uh, pay attention with that. The strong running game of Baltimore is definitely going to be affected if Lamar Jackson can't go ahead and get the job done due to all the injuries in the preseason with the uh, running game toward the Baltimore Ravens. So, we don't know about that. Their passing game, as far as wide receivers, is concerned for Baltimore has been inconsistent. Mark Andrews still remains one of the more underrated players and tight ends in the NFL, being Lamar's number one target. But, you know, Hollywood Brown and the other receivers have been inconsistent at best. So, you know, we have all of these questions, and we have questions about the New England Patriots. We have questions, as I mentioned before, over and over again about Mac Jones. I have questions about how high the ceiling is for the New England Patriots. I had questions about once they get into the playoffs, are they going to be able to rely on Mac Jones to possibly throw the football 30-45 uh, times a game to out a Patrick Mahomes to out a Lamar Jackson to out a Josh Allen. So all of those things are still question marks for the New England Patriots. Do they have enough playmakers do they have enough dynamicism yeah that's right dynamicism look it up kids do they have enough big playmakers on that offense to stretch the field and have that big play and have those big things happen for new england once they get into the playoffs and possibly have to play in a shootout against a charging kansas city football team or a dynamic lamar jackson if he returns to health and with the baltimore ravens and such is the new england patriots are the new england patriots going to be able to do that Will they be able to do that? In, in Tennessee, once some they get some of their players back, once they get some of their key players back, both on offense and defense, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, you're going to go on the assumption is going to be a much better quarterback than he is right now. Derrick Henry isn't coming through that door, folks, in terms of the Derrick Henry that we think about, one of the most dominating football players in the league. He's not coming back this year. He might be coming back in January as a as a prayer, but he's not going to be the Derrick Henry that we all know and love to be, that battering ram that can take so much of the responsibility from that Tennessee offense. So it's going to be reliant as Tennessee moves forward and the Titans try to go ahead and secure a strong spot once the playoffs start. They're going to have to rely on Ryan, T- Ryan Tannehill to step up his game. It's going to have to rely on the uh receiving core of Julio Jones and AJ Brown to get as healthy as possible and then get ready for the stretch run and then go to the playoffs. They're gonna have to rely on a defense to continue to try to make some plays and continue to uh try to be aggressive and, and uh dominate the defensive line like they did against the Los Angeles Rams. They're gonna have to be able to have that they're gonna have to be able to play at that level. But with the Patriots, now one of the things I will say this I don't think, especially when we're speaking about this time of year and the coach that the Patriots have and one of the greatest of them all, Bill Belichick, I don't see them slipping. I don't see a bad performance. I I don't see a performance that, say, for instance, Tennessee had against Houston. I don't see going down the stretch. For New England, I don't see them having a game that Buffalo had against Jacksonville. I'm not saying that the winning streak for New England is going is going to you know be intact. I'm not I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is because they have Bill Belichick as their coach, because they have Josh McDaniels as their offensive coordinator, because they are such a well-oiled machine because of the experience and the expertise and the coaching acumen of Bill Belichick, chances of them laying an egg and having a performance that makes you scratch your head and starts questioning whether they're really the best team or one of the best teams in not just the AFC but also in the NFL, I don't, I don't think that they, they're going to go down that route. I don't think they're going to have one of those performances. So because of that, if you're going to be able to beat the New England Patriots, you're not going to be able to do it with, with, with a with a shabby performance. You're not going to be able to give them multiple opportunities to uh, score touchdowns by fumbles or interceptions or key penalties or missed opportunities in the red zone or missed field goal attempts or dumb penalties and such. New England, despite the missed opportunities that were given to them by Tennessee when I was speaking before about them being 2-5 and five in the red zone, I don't think moving forward, even with the tough schedule that they have coming up for the next couple of games – New England is going to take advantage of every single missed opportunity that they're going to be given. I shouldn't say every single missed opportunity, but the high majority of opportunities for them to take advantage of a miscue from the other team, they're going to do it. And it's almost always when you take a look at this New England team, it's always a situation where you go back and you just say after the game is over, it's like, damn, man, you know, New England really ain't all that. But if we just would have been able to, you know, kind of cut down on our penalties, or we, if we didn't have the turnovers or we didn't give, uh, you know, New England the opportunity to put some points on the board in the red zone because of a bad penalty or because of a fumble or because of an interception, man, we would have been right there. You know, New England doesn't have that. At least on offense, the defense is fantastic. The defense is going to create multiple opportunities per game for New England to do some things on offense. But New England doesn't have on offense have that, die, that dynamic playmaker. He doesn't have that spectacular quarterback. He doesn't have, they don't have any of that stuff. So because of that, it's like, man, again, how high is the ceiling for the New England Patriots? But all they keep doing is they just keep manufacturing points. When given the opportunity, they give points. Yeah, they might, you know, Mac Jones isn't going to pull off some Patrick Mahomes magical nonsense with his arm. You know, he's not going to make a Lamar Jackson play where his athleticism is going to be off the charts. You know, he's not going to shed five tacklers like Josh Allen has and falling down going to throw the ball 40 yards in the air to a receiver like Stephon Diggs to uh, make a reception and go into the end zone. That's not New England. New England is just that methodical offense that's going to keep wearing you down. That's going to keep wearing you down. That's going to be putting that big, strong offensive line on you. That's going to be battering you with those three big running backs that they have. Mac Jones is going to be working off the play-action passes. You have good receivers who know receivers who know where the chains are, the first down chains are. They're not. They might not be getting a lot of yak yours after the catch, but they're going to be getting first downs because they know where they are, they run good routes, the tight ends for the Patriots are going to play a big role. It's, it's it's that type of thing. And that type of offense is the type of offense that can win championships. Why? Because what it does, it slowly wears down the defense. So you could have, you know, a, a dynamic offense like the Kansas City football team that can score quickly and all that kind of good stuff and, you know, give you those, you know, give you those, ah, moments and give you those big plays that's all fine and dandy but with new england it's just a steady groove of just wearing you down wearing you down man it's like a boxer i mean they're almost like joe frazier or something like that they're almost like the type of fighter where it's kind of like almost like rocky marciano back in the day if you even want to go back even farther it was a situation where man they're just going to keep hitting you that might hit you in the arm they might hit you in the chest they might hit you in the wrist they might hit you you and the thigh they might hit you you know somewhere along the belt they might hit you in the kidneys they might hit you you know just shots and shots and shots and shots so you know round one all right round four god damn round eight ooh, i'm tired round 10 i'm done because it's that constant battering and battering. Like Julio Cesar Chavez against Meldrick Taylor, right? Meldrick Taylor, that first time, that first fight that Chavez and Taylor had, my goodness gracious, man. I mean, Chavez was getting his ass whooped because of the speed, because of the skill, because of the dynamicism. That's right, I'm using that word dynamicism again from Meldrick Taylor. And what was Chavez doing? Yeah, he might have been losing the fight in the first five, six, maybe six and a half rounds. But what happened to Armando Vasquez? Guess what? He started with those body shots. With those shots to the shoulders, with those shots to the biceps, with those shots to the chest, with those shots to the abdomen, with those shots all over the body, started slowing them down and wearing them down and wearing them down. And before you know it, by the 12th round, despite the ridiculous stoppage by Richard Steele, the uh, uh, Chavez had Meldrick Taylor done and that's the situation when I think about the offense of the New England Patriots, when you have to deal with that bullshit, when you have to deal with that offensive line, when you have to deal with that physicality for four quarters and 48 minutes or 50 or, or 60 minutes. It's just a matter of just every single play. If you're going to have New England, if you're a defense and New England's, New England's going to be out there for, you know, anywhere between 65 to 75 plays, it's just going to be a constant getting beat up. It's like the college version of Stanford when Jim Harbaugh was the coach and David Shaw took over when Stanford was really rolling. It's like when you play the New England Patriots, it's almost like you played a game and a half because of the way they just beat you up and the way they're just so physical with you. So with New England, yeah, they might not be the spectacular group on offense, but they are very, very, very efficient when it comes to that, so... Yeah, watch out for those New England Patriots. And I mentioned before, with a coach like Bill Belichick, don't expect any type of slip-ups when it comes to the final portion of the regular season. Again, not saying that they're gonna not I'm not saying that they're gonna win every game, but if you beat New England, you better beat them because they ain't gonna if you're waiting for New England to make stupid penalties, if you're waiting for New England to have make bad coaching decisions, if you're waiting for New England to beat themselves, uh, you're gonna keep waiting You're gonna get your ass whooped and you're gonna lose Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace So glad that you could be with us Speaking about teams that have a chance to win the Super Bowl Should I say that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are back? They're back I don't know if they even left They might have left for just a quick second They might have left to use the bathroom And then come back in and say what's happening They've uh Despite what's going on with the Arizona Cardinals despite what's going on with the New England Patriots, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, best team in the NFC. Talk to me. What do you think? I'm going to say yes. And, and it's not just because of Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Hey man, Tom Brady has been solid. Tom Brady has a, been a professional solid quarterback for the last uh, two games that they got back on this two game winning streak after losing consecutive weeks to New Orleans and my Washington football skins. Um, they're currently one game behind the Arizona Cardinals and a half game behind Green Bay for the best record in the league. Tampa Bay showed us last year, you know, best record in the league, record in the league. It doesn't matter. They won their Super Bowl by uh, winning at Washington then winning at New Orleans and winning at Green Bay. So, you know, take me on the road, country road. I don't give a damn. We'll go ahead and win there. So I think when you speak about Tampa Bay now, with the amount of games that they have left to play, And the way that they separated themselves from the rest of the division, two-game winning streak, now they have a three-game lead over Atlanta, New Orleans, stumbling, bumbling, fumbling, falling in the AFC South. Okay, let's go ahead and start taking a look at what's going on with the Green Bay Packers. Let's go ahead and start taking a look at some of the other division leaders uh, in the NFC. Let's go ahead and start taking a look at the Arizona Cardinals. Are they for real? Let's start taking a look at the Los Angeles Rams and see if they can get their act together. Let's start taking a look at the Dallas Cowboys. If this two-game losing streak that they're on is an aberration or something uh, something foreboding, foretelling in the near future. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. You know, this game that Tampa played beating the um, Indianapolis Colts 38-31 on Sunday. You realize that the first time the Bucks have won back-to-back games since week six and seven? Doesn't seem that way, right? But I'm thinking this game against Indianapolis on the road, against one of the hottest teams in the league, 38-31, outside of... No, 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 no. I'm not going to even say outside of the Sunday night victory over New England in week four. I want to say this game against Indianapolis was the most impressive win of the season. Yeah, I'm even going to say it over uh, the first game, the season opener against Dallas. Now I'm going to go with Indianapolis on this one. Because New England was still trying to fight themselves. After the loss, New England was 1-3. So they're not the New England that we knew, that we know now. They weren't the New England back then of the New England that we know now. And I mentioned before, man, we're speaking about now a little bit of balance filtering into what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are putting down from the offensive side of the football. When you're speaking about Leonard Fournette being the star of the game for Tampa Bay uh, against New against uh, Indianapolis, four touchdowns, ran for 100 yards on 17 carries, broke the tie with a 28-yard scoring run with 20 seconds left, also caught seven passes on eight targets for 31 yards. You know, not monstrous. We're not all of a sudden now talking about him being this generation's Roger Craig or, Mar- or uh, Marshall uh Marshall Falk or Marcus Allen, but still, just that outlet gave Brady, especially on the last drive where it was Fournette, scored that touchdown a couple of times through that outlet pass to Fournette, who gained positive yards. So, hey, man, you know, go ahead and speak about whose fault it was. Was it a situation when you speak about five turnovers? Was it because of Tampa Bay's aggressive defense, putting indianapolis in a position to fumble that many times or to lose the football have that many turnovers or was it a situation where you know what indianapolis should just be in indianapolis probably a little bit of both but you have to have a pretty good defense it can't be luck five times in one game where they call the turnovers that's a situation where again you know you have a strong strong defense and when you're speaking about the totality of of what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are putting down from all three phases of the game right now, offense, defense, and special teams, especially with the secondary for Tampa Bay getting stronger as some of their depleted uh, secondary folks are starting to come back to play, then you're now talking about a quarterback who has, what, seven Super Bowl rings? Hello! You have a team now that's very fresh off of winning a Super Bowl? Hello! You have the majority of that team back? Hello! So now you consider them Super Bowl champions and have that super bowl championship experience doing it the hard way as i mentioned before winning three games in a row on the road hello looks to me that you know hey man are the tampa bay buccaneers that they're surging right now are they starting to get a little bit into the uh Green Bay Packers head a little bit, if you remember what happened in the NFC Championship game on the road at Lambeau Field, on the road at Lambeau Field, yeah, kind of like one in the same, but yeah, are the Green Bay Packers starting to feel a little bit of the smoke, kind of get, get a little nervous about what's happening with the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they look to be rounding into shape, I don't know, man, I don't know, I have no idea, but uh, yeah. Tampa Bay looks for real. Brady was solid, not spectacular against the Colts, 25 of 34 for 226 yards, one touchdown, one interception. So, hey, guess what? We can win a Super Bowl, or excuse me, we can win. Well, they already saw, we already found out that they can win a Super Bowl without Tom Brady being vintage. 35 year old Tom Brady, 32 year old Tom Brady. Put the offense on my shoulders and let me lead you to victory, Tom Brady. We've already shown. By last uh, year's destruction In the Super Bowl over Kansas City That's not necessary But now we're speaking about a team Yes, albeit because of five turnovers By the other team playing a role But look man, Tom Brady didn't have to go 25 of 34 for 426 yards or 375 yards with Four touchdowns and no interceptions Or one interceptions The running game is starting to uh, Pick up a little bit now for The Buccaneers, the Game that I mentioned before, the um, uh, impact that Leonard Fournette had against the Colts, 100 yards rushing, 17 attempts. That was his best statistical game of the season since the uh, New England game where he ran for 92 yards on 20 carries. And I mentioned before, if you take a look at the two best wins by the Buccaneers, and you will argue, but I'll argue, that it was the week four against the New England Patriots and then this past weekend, against the Indianapolis Colts, what were the two similarities on offense? Balance. Balance. Against the uh, Colts, they ran the ball, what? They ran the ball uh, 27 times. They passed the ball 34 times. And just like the Kansas City football team with Patrick Mahomes, look, man, you know, having a balanced offense as far as being 50-50 when we're speaking about run pass, that's great. But, you know, if you're going to have the opportunity to run that football a little bit less than Patrick Mahomes throwing the football I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll go ahead and take that you know if Pat- Patrick and we have a game plan where Mahomes is going to be throwing the ball arbitrary number 40 times and the Chiefs running game is going to be somewhere around 25 to 28 30 attempts that's cool it might not be 50-50 the ideal for about 98% of the uh, teams in the NFL. But when you're speaking about the uh, football team from Kansas City and you're speaking about that quarterback and you're thinking about how effective and how dynamic and how potent that offense had been, mainly through putting the ball in the air, yeah, you don't want to have Patrick Mahomes going back every single time throwing the ball around. That's not good for anybody. We found that out in the Super Bowl, especially when you have a less than effective offensive line. But with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire coming back, with the offensive game now looking a little bit better, Kansas City now, that passing game becomes that much better. Same thing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, Tom Brady, 44 years old, going back to pass 45 to 50 times a game on a consistent basis while running the ball maybe 15, 20 times. Eh, not down with that. That's not happening. The offensive line for the Buccaneers have been tremendous in terms of keeping Tom Brady upright. But, you know, they'll put Tom Brady in harm's way that many times during the game, and I'm sorry, man. 44, and I, I, I get it, I get it. I don't care if he's 44 years old. He's unbelievable. He's fantastic. Look at the level of play that he's playing at, this, that, and the other. Great, wonderful. He's doing that while he's standing up. He's doing that while he's not getting hit. He's doing that while he's not getting sacked. He's doing that while he's not getting hurried. He's doing that while he's not getting pressured on a consistent basis. I don't want to see Tom Brady at 44 years old. I don't give a damn how many tb12 exercises he's done i don't care how many avocado and broccoli shakes that he's done i don't care of the fact that he doesn't eat bread like he said on those subway sandwiches commercials i don't care about any of that stuff a 44 year old man playing quarterback in the nfl i don't want to see him getting hit i don't want to see him getting pressured i don't want to see him getting sacked if you're a fan of that football team multiple multiple times so tom brady is going to go back and pass the ball 45 times which means he's going to be getting hit 15 of those times or 12 of those times or even 10 of those times on a consistent basis he is not going to last either he's either going to get injured or the totality of taking that punishment is going to finally catch up with him it is not going to take 15 games to do it it's not going to take 10 games to do it i don't give a damn how great of a shape that you're in i don't give a damn what type of genetics that you have when you're 44 fucking years old playing nfl football with a 44 year old body i don't care how great you take care of it if you get hit that many times Pretty soon, it's finally going to crumble. That dam is finally going to break. So the whole point of this is to say that, you know what? A situation where a running game can help out, there's not going to be 50-50, especially with with the philosophy of Bruce Arians. All right. But man, we could just show a little bit more. The consistency is there for Tampa to show a little bit more of a running game. That's only going to make the offense better, and it's also also going to improve the chances of Tampa Bay going going back and winning that uh, championship or defending their championship. I mentioned before here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I spoke about the defense for the Buccaneers getting healthier. You're speaking about in that game to Washington where they lost uh, 29-19 a couple of weeks ago. They 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 were down to their seventh cornerback, D. Delaney. After he left the game with the concussion, he was replacing Richard Sherman, who suffered a calf injury in warmups. So they were basically down to nobody. They were basically going down to uh, Tampa, knocking on doors, saying, hey man, "Hey man, can you play? Hey man, can you play? Hey man, can you play? Hey man, can you play?" So you know they were they were when you when you're speaking about a team that was decimated by injuries. In the secondary, that was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, they're starting to get some of their pieces back. Sean Murphy uh, Bunting, he returned against the uh, Giants. He played all but one snap defensively, and he had seven tackles and a forced fumble. So, you take a look at the Buccaneers' schedule. At Atlanta, Buffalo, New England, Carolina, at Carolina, then at the Jets, and then ending the season at Carolina, there are some games where they can get healthy at Carolina. Atlanta at Carolina and at the Jets and there's going to be some really good gauge games to uh, take a look at Buffalo in New England to see exactly where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are standing right now Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us so the new standing through week 12 NFC division leaders, the number one seed still remain the Arizona Cardinals at nine and two. They had a bye this week. The Green Bay Packers are the number two seed at eight and three. The number three seed are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers else also at eight and three. The number four seed leaders of the NFC East are the Dallas Cowboys at seven and four. The wildcard teams, the number five seed is the are the Los Angeles Rams at 7-4, and four, the number 6 seed, the San Francisco 49ers. Very impressive victory over the Minnesota Vikings this past weekend. They're number 6 in the last uh, seed that will qualify for the playoffs in the NFC, the Minnesota Vikings. They are now 5-6, and six, one game behind those San Francisco 49ers teams. On the outside looking in, really not too much to talk about as you're speaking about the number 8 seed being Atlanta. They're done, the number 9 seed being the... New Orleans Saints at five and six, they're done. The Philadelphia Eagles, they're done. The Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton, I'm back. Another loss, and Cam went five for twenty-one. You're back, huh, Cam? You want to take your helmet off again and put the camera on your face and talk about I'm back, I'm back, back, because it's all about me. I'm back. I'm five for twenty-one. I'm benched. I'm back and I'm benched. Carolina is five and seven, and my Washington Snyder skins three winners of three games in a row five and six and only two games back in the NFC least with the uh, Dallas Cowboys leading that division. So the bottom of the conference, number 13 seated New York Giants, 14 the Chicago Matt Nagy's, 15 Seattle uh, Seahawks, which man, oof. and the number 16 last with a bullet with a Campbell, the Detroit Lions 0 10 and 1 so again you take a look at some of the remaining schedules for teams of consequence in that division arizona playing this upcoming week against chicago still no update on what's happening with justin fields then an important game if they host the los angeles Rams. then on the road to detroit then host uh the indianapolis colts and end with the dallas cowboys so if you're speaking about you know what's happening in terms of not just defending their division or continuing to lead in their division, but also keeping you know up the up the pace with some teams like Green Bay and Tampa Bay still one game ahead of both of those teams. The Cardinals have some pretty challenging games ahead of them. They're as I mentioned before two games ahead of the Rams in the NFC West, and if you take a look at the the Rams schedule. After losing three straight games, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. This upcoming weekend, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, if they have some problem against the Jacksonville Urban Myers, then it's kind of like, oh, shit. What in the name of Flip is going on with that? So they've got Jacksonville then on the road to Arizona, then Seattle, who's faltering at Minnesota. At Baltimore, the 49ers to end the season. Talked about the Arizona Cardinals having a schedule that's challenging. Hell, if the Los Angeles Rams don't get their act together, they can miss the playoffs altogether. So we'll see about that. The San Francisco 49ers at Seattle, at Cincinnati, Atlanta, at Tennessee, Houston, and at the LA Rams. Hold on for a minute. Hold on for a minute here on Wendell's World in Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Oh, you son of a bitch. Oh, you son of a bitch. Y'all going to try to make me cry. I'm up here recording this podcast and y'all going y'all going to make me cry. What is ESPN doing? Oh, what is ESPN doing? Hold on. Give me give me 60 seconds. Just give me 60 seconds to say this. Um I have while well, I'm doing this podcast, I have a uh, I have the TV on watching ESPN here in my humble town home in Northwest Las Vegas, Nevada, Centennial Hills. And uh, watching Maryland and Georgia Tech and they were just showing some highlights of my hero Len Bias they had his mom there and his dad there I think his dad there and uh, they were showing some highlights and oh man anytime you bring up Len Bias yeah it's been a while it's been almost 40 years but god damn man you bring up Len Bias to me even now as a grown man past the age of 50 I still get uh, a little emotional Still get a little emotional. Damn, Len. Damn, Len. Damn, Len. And fuck you, Brian Triple. The fact that you still breathe is, is disgusting. Mm. Better than Jordan. He was going to be better than Jordan. If he would have kicked that cocaine habit. Oh, sorry. Okay, my 60 seconds is up. Back to what I was talking about. Yes. Um, mm. Damn, did I miss Lenny? Okay, back to what was happening in the NFC. Um... Yeah, remaining uh, scheduled for the teams of consequence. Broke down Arizona, broke down the Rams, broke down the 49ers. Dallas, again, two-game lead over my Washington football team. Thursday night game coming up against New Orleans so is going to be important. Then they're at Washington. Then at the New York Giants. Then hosting Washington in be- uh, hosting Arizona before ending the season at Philadelphia. Washington this weekend at the Las Vegas Raiders then back home for Dallas, then back on the road to Philadelphia, then on the road again to Dallas, back home to Philadelphia before ending the season against the New York Giants. Um, Green Bay, three and a half game lead over a multitude of teams, mainly the Minnesota Vikings in the NFC North. They're going to be playing uh, Chicago after they come back from their bye week this week. Then after Chicago, they're at Baltimore, Cleveland, Minnesota, and Detroit. So, yeah, man, there's gonna be some interesting stuff going ahead. And then you take a look at the AFC conference standings, the number one seeded Baltimore Ravens, still up there at eight and three, right behind them on their tails, is the number two seeded now New England Patriots at eight and four. Number three, Tennessee Titans at eight and four. Number four, leaders in the NFC excuse me, in the AFC West, the Kansas City football team, they're at seven and four. The wild card teams. Number five, the Cincinnati Bengals, who shit, they might be better than everybody in this Equation outside of New England, they're at seven and four. Buffalo number six, seven and four, and the Los Angeles Chargers at six and five. What was that performance against the um, Denver Broncos the other week? Not good, or this past weekend? Not good, not good at all. So on the outside looking in, important victory on Thursday Thanksgiving by the Las Vegas Raiders, keeping them in earshot at six and five. Number nine, Denver. Number 10, Indianapolis. Huge loss for the Colts against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Number 11, Pittsburgh Steelers, who were embarrassed uh, against Cincinnati. Um, I don't know why. I, have, I don't have too much to say about Pittsburgh, except you guys better see about getting uh, getting a quarterback. Again, I'm going to make inquiries about Deshaun Watson, the vibe of those guys, because Who do you got when Ben Roethlisberger doesn't come back? Or who do you got when Ben Roethlisberger retires after this season, if he retires this season? There's no no way if you're Pittsburgh, you're going to keep him back. There's no way if if you're Pittsburgh, you're going to bring him back. So what are you going to do? You're going to put your trust in Dwayne Haskins? You're going to put your trust in Mason Rudolph? What other quarterbacks are out there? Again, if I were Pittsburgh, I would inquire. I would have the discussion about do we want to have the wherewithal, do we want to go ahead and try to get Deshaun Watson? That's all I'm saying. Pittsburgh at number 11, number 12 Cleveland, number 13 Miami, and then the bottom of the conference, you have those New York Jets moving out of the basement with their victory on Sunday over Houston. So you have the Jets at number 13, excuse me, at number 14, at 3 and 8, the Houston Texans at 2 and 9, Jacksonville Jaguars at 2 and 9 occupy the number 6 Team seed in the AFC um in the AFC conference on the you know American Football conference so there you go man I'm taking a look at some of these schedules for teams of consequence the Baltimore one game lead over Cincinnati they play at Pittsburgh then at Cleveland Green Bay at Cincinnati the Rams Pittsburgh hmm dicey 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 especially when you're speaking about Baltimore so far playing up to the competition playing down to the competition there is no like oh yeah Pittsburgh struggling hey Pittsburgh with that defense they could definitely beat Baltimore Cleveland struggling but they almost beat Baltimore this past uh, Sunday night Green Bay is Green Bay and playing uh I mean that that could be major difficulty but that would be a great gauge game for the Ravens at Cincinnati that could determine who's going to be the winner of the uh, AFC North then back to play the rams what type of rams team are we going to be speaking about here is, is it going to be the ram team that's going to be closer to the team we thought they were going to be when they acquired Vaughn Miller and Odell Beckham Jr or are they going to be the struggling failing flailing rams that we've seen over the past uh 3 weeks time will tell and then to end the season against Pittsburgh and when you take a look at some of these teams and you take a look at say for instance Baltimore who went the season with Pittsburgh Cincinnati who's going to end the season at Cleveland New England, who's going to end the season at Miami. Buffalo, who's going to end the season at the New York Jets. Kansas City, who's going to end the season at Denver. How many of these teams, Chargers, who are going to be, um, who are, who, are, who have Houston, Tennessee, who's going to be, you know, playing near the end against the likes of Miami and Houston. How many of these teams are going to just be like, fuck it, we're done. We really don't give a damn. We're out of here mentally checked out. Uh, you know, how much are the franchises or the teams that they're going to be playing are going to be looking towards the future and are not going to be too invested in the winning these games. So if you take a look at Buffalo going down the stretch where they have Atlanta and the New York Jets, I mean, shit, right there, the last two games of the season for Buffalo, those should be two wins because we're speaking about the Falcons and the Jets who don't really have too much to play for. When you're taking a look at the Tennessee Titans, where their last two games are against the Miami Dolphins and the Houston uh I will say Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, the Houston, the Tennessee Titans who used to be the Houston Oilers are going to be playing the Houston Texans. How much are those two teams going to have in terms of, you know, investment in the winning of these football games? So all of those things come into play. All of those things come into play. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host at Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The order for the worst teams in the league right now. So, hey, for these guys, and believe me, what being a Washington football fan, this would be always a uh, this would always be a, a a separate entity in itself for me to get excited about watching football in uh, for for my Washington team to see what they could do to lose so they could get themselves that quarterback that uh, I treasure so much so we can turn our franchise around. Unfortunately, Alex Smith came back and fucked everything up. We were Dwayne Haskins as a quarterback, man. We were we were right in the mix. To give ourselves a franchise quarterback, Justin Fields, but they knew Alex Smith had to come back, start winning football games, and fuck everything up for us. Thanks, Alex. You're up the retired, chilling, and we're still up there with uh, Taylor Heineke. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. But the draft order for this year's squad, if the or this this year's. Uh, teams of non-consequence at the season ended today. The number one pick, yes, of course, would be the Detroit Lions. The number two pick would go to the Houston Texans. The number three pick would go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The number four pick would go to the New York Jets. Also, the number five pick because of the trade with Seattle that gave Seattle Jamal Adams they would also Have the number five pick because Seattle has The fifth worst uh, record in the league So the Jets would be picking at number Four and number five same thing With the New York Giants who have the number Six pick and then because of a trade With the Chicago Bears would also Have their pick which currently Stands at number seven number eight Would be Washington number nine would be Philadelphia And number ten uh, Would be who does number ten number ten really Doesn't matter so those are the those are the teams vying for those draft picks. Not a really deep class for quarterbacks. So what are you going to do? The uh, kid from Oregon, uh, the defensive lineman who named uh, Escapes be Kevon, Kevon Thibodeau. I think that's his name. He's supposed to be one of the guys that's supposed to be drafted near the top of the order. A defensive lineman out of Oregon. Uh, there's a quarterback in, in um mississippi whose name i forgot right now is supposed to be rolling up the charts but you know still too early to tell which quarterback is going to have a great preseason or off-season workout look good in a super in a senior bowl or something like that and all of a sudden shoot up the uh, draft boards but as of right now nothing of real consequence concerning that matter so the nfl rolling on to week 13 Some teams got some things to do to better their position. We will see going forward with this weekend's games if those things come to fruition for those who are looking to make their mark this week in the NFL. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, speaking about what's happening in the world of sports, bonjour, bonsoir, Konishiwa, wassalamu alaykum, my brothers and sisters, shalom, namaste, good morning, good aben, que pasa, mi amigos, miyama Wendell Wallace, everybody who's listening to this podcast, All over the world, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Australia, special dedication who are listening to this podcast in America, special dedication who are listening to this podcast in Brazil, special dedication who are listening to this podcast in Dubai, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Germany, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in South Africa, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast anywhere in the world, any place where you listen to your favorite podcast, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that there is, Wendell's World is Sports. No longer can I control Can I control what's happening. Let's go ahead and start talking about what went, what went down the last couple of days in college football coaching news. USC and LSU captured their huge whales for head coaches. You know what's interesting? I took a look at this. Do you know the last time that a coach from Oklahoma decided to make a lateral move or decided to uh, take another college football job, leave another, leave for another coaching opportunity from the University of Oklahoma. It hasn't happened since Jim Tatum left Oklahoma to become Maryland's head coach in 1947. Maryland gave him a raise for $12,000. That was before Bud Wilkinson. That was before Barry Switzer. That was before... Uh, did Dave Divine coach at Nebraska or Oklahoma? One of the two, but before all, before Oklahoma be, became Oklahoma, that was the last time that a coach, a football coach for Oklahoma, left to take a lateral job or take another college football job. And in Notre Dame, Brian Kelly is the first Notre Dame coach to leave for another college coaching job since 1908. Thomas Berry departed to become the football and baseball coach at Wisconsin before the Four Horsemen, before Nuke Rockney, before Eric Parsegian, before uh, all of that nonsense, before Notre Dame became Notre Dame. So basically what we're saying is, is that you don't leave Oklahoma, you don't leave Notre Dame to take another job in college football. There's no need to take another job in college football. Now, you get fired if you get, re- if you retire, if you go to the NFL or something like that, okay, you leave, but to take another job, to take another position as a football coach in college, to leave Notre Dame, to leave Oklahoma, say it ain't so. But this past week, in, or this past week, yes, indeed, Lincoln and Riley agreed to become the Uh, USC's next head football coach over this past weekend, what Riley said in a statement released by Oklahoma on Sunday, he said, leaving Oklahoma was probably the most difficult decision of my life. OU was one of the best college football programs in the country. It has been forever. This was a special decision, or this was a personal decision solely based on my willingness to take. To go take on a new challenge. And I felt like it was the right opportunity for me and my family to do that. In a statement released by USC, Riley called the football tradition at USC unparalleled. I look forward to honoring that successful tradition and building on it. The pieces are in place for us to build the program back to where it should be. And the fans expect it to be. Wow, could you, Woo! does it hurt? If you're, I mean, I, I got to talk to my man Eric G, who does a program on the Sports Animal out there in, out there in Tulsa with uh, Coach Jones, who has just been saying, you know what, Lincoln Riley is a snake. Lincoln Riley is a snake oil salesman. Lincoln Riley is a fraud. Lincoln Riley is just no damn good. Lincoln Riley, just that and the other. My man Eric G, I, you know what, I understand you're closer to the program. You know about this program. You know a lot more about what's inside the program. You know about um lincoln riley and what the happenings and going on much more than i do and you can take a listen to him and coach jones on the sports animal in tulsa from 11 to 2 uh central standard time i hope that's correct i know for me i listen to eric g and coach jones every chance i get when i'm not working from 9 a.m my time to 12 noon so figure that out pacific standard time but uh yeah Mr. G, check him out on Twitter and stuff, had some pretty, pretty nasty things to say about Lincoln Riley. And, um... It's always funny because, you know, these coaches are always put in a bad position because it's a situation where, okay, let's just say the Lincoln Riley, for whatever reason, man, maybe he got a little bit scared about Oklahoma going to the SEC and all of a sudden now he's going to have to go up against Nick Saban for a few years until he retires. He's going to have to go up against before this was well known, but you know, he's going to have to go up against a strong LSU football program and tradition. And now they got themselves a coach of Brian Kelly, who I'll speak about. A little bit later, in the terms of the importance that uh, he uh, he was to LSU regaining their footing as being one of the elite college football programs in the country, and he was all he was going to be going up against a juggernaut in Kirby Smart at um, at Georgia, and Josh Heupel's had things going in the right directions at Tennessee, and you know you still have Florida, they're a sleepy giant, they can get the right coach in there before they went ahead and got themselves Billy Napier, so maybe. Lincoln Riley was taking a look around and he was saying, damn, now all of a sudden I'm going to be going up against those guys. Now all of a sudden I'm going to be going up against, you know, Nick Saban and Billy Napier and LSU and these guys going for the same five-star recruits in Dallas and Fort Worth and Houston and San Antonio and, you know, other parts of the country. And I know that Oklahoma has been a national recruiting program. In terms of they get programs, they get players, they get five-star recruits, they get highly ranked recruits from the East Coast, from the West Coast, from New Mexico, from the Dakotas, from anywhere that they want to. Lincoln Riley was that guy. If you need yourself a five-star recruit at the quarterback position, you didn't have to go to Dallas if you had to pick up somebody of that stature. You didn't have to, you know, go to Oklahoma. Oklahoma doesn't have blue-chip prospects coming out of their asses. You could go to a Florida. You could go to a California. You could go to a Pennsylvania. You could go to an Ohio. You could go ahead if you were Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma when he was grooving, when he was moving, when he had that program rocking and rolling like he has every single flipping year since he's been the head coach there for five years. He didn't have to worry about getting beat out by Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or Florida or Georgia or Texas or LSU or UCLA or USC or Oregon on a consistent basis because he was Lincoln Riley. And Oklahoma is still a national brand. So yeah, there's a dearth of talent in terms of building a football program in Oklahoma because hell is Oklahoma. But damn, right down the road for a couple of hours, you had anywhere where you wanted to go to pick up some really great recruits in Texas. And because of the Oklahoma brand, because of the success that you had as a coach, you didn't have to worry about that. So it's kind of puzzling to me why all of a sudden, if that's the case, I don't know. Maybe Eric G knows. Maybe Coach Jones, Pat Jones, nope, knows. But I don't know in terms of why it was his decision to go ahead and make that move. I don't know because, again, maybe when somebody writes a book about this, maybe there was some consternation. Maybe there was some disagreements. Maybe there was a falling out. Maybe there was a, I don't know, an, uh, animosity or some, you know, some some nonsense going on behind the scenes between Joe Castillo and the uh, in Lincoln Riley or maybe it was a situation with the administration or I don't know I mean it wasn't based on you couldn't get the players that you wanted to get in there it wasn't because of all of a sudden Oklahoma not having the fever not having the passion not having the determination to uh, be the best college football program in the country I don't know if all of a sudden that you know Lincoln Riley was sitting there talking about damn man so if I don't win the national championship all of a sudden I'm a bum All of a sudden now winning a national championship is not good enough? All of a sudden now winning Big 12 championships aren't good enough? Me dominating the conference isn't good enough? All of a sudden you're going to bring that shit on me? Putting out Heisman Trophy winners and number one draft picks at quarterbacks all of a sudden isn't good enough for you guys? Well then hell, maybe I should take my ball and take my football to my coordinators and go somewhere else where I'm a little bit more appreciative. Because Lincoln Riley, I mean, got a little swag to him. You know, got maybe a little got a a little bit of that you know thirty-eight-year-old West Coast cool to him, which uh which would fly in that area. I mean, this is another situation where you have sixty-year-old Brian Kelly, who spent most of his time in the Midwest, all of a sudden now he's going to go to Baton Rouge. That's going to be an interesting fit. I mean, you know, cultural-wise, I mean, it should be pretty seamless for Lincoln Riley to you know to uh, integrate himself into. Uh, the culture of Los Angeles, where hell, you have people from all over the world going to uh, Los Angeles to live and do things. So, this is not like a, a cultural decision where it's like, man, you know, how is Lincoln Riley going to fit in a Midwestern boy? How's he going to fit in in LA? There's plenty of folks from Chicago. There's plenty of folks from Oklahoma. There's plenty of folks from Texas. There's plenty of folks from Nebraska. There's plenty of folks from Illinois. There's plenty of folks from that part of the country where they're doing just fine and dandy out there in Southern California. So it wasn't that. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. So Bob Stoops is going to be the Oklahoma interim head coach for their bowl game. Riley was 55 and 10 in Oklahoma, won the big 12 championship in his first four seasons, had three college football playoff appearances. Again, I, I, I don't know. I had no idea. And, you know, a situation where, hey, this is grand fantastic. When I was contacted by USC, but 36 hours was a short turn for me to all of a sudden decide that USC is where I wanted to go. Bullshit, bullshit. But what was Lincoln Riley supposed to say? Again, that's why I question exactly what went down for him. This was something that had to be in the making for a little bit. I'm not saying years in, the, in in you know, years in advance, but this had to be something where I don't know, the season started. Maybe he started thinking about this. I mean, Oklahoma was supposed to be one of the best teams in the country. They have Preseason, the best quarterback, best chance to uh, win a Heisman Trophy is Spencer Rattler. I don't know. Was last uh, season's disappointment all of a sudden now a carryover to, you know, if we don't win the championship, this is a bust, and maybe Lincoln Riley isn't our guy. I don't, I don't know what the chatter was in terms of regarding Lincoln Riley with the Oklahoma football program. But just all of a sudden, you lose to Oklahoma State, finish the season 10-2, and and all of a sudden say, hey, usc called and they really want to uh have a really good football program sounds good to me i'm in i mean all this stuff about they were in concert when he gave uh when lincoln riley gave his his opening hello how you doing to the uh, usc fan base when he was introduced at the head coach i mean he was up there sitting there talking about oh you know i've Just, you know, there's so many people to name that, uh, you know, basically came and was talking to me and had a vision and they were on the same page and they were on the same wavelength and they were speaking my language about how much they wanted to uh, put together a fantastic college football program. Well, wait a minute, didn't you have that at Oklahoma? I mean, what was the difference between what USC was saying to you and what Oklahoma was saying to you, Did Oklahoma was Oklahoma completely blindsided by this? I mean, was it the situation? Did you even give Oklahoma a chance? Did you give Oklahoma any inkling that you might be looking? Were you even looking? Other than, I mean, USC, okay, when Clay Helton got fired, I forgot what week it was. What was it, week three, I think? They got blown out by Stanford in their home opener in USC. Okay, that's enough. When that happened, was that your first maybe thought about? Hmm. USC, huh? Hmm. I don't know. Hmm, 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 hmm. Get my agent out there to say, you know, take a look around a little bit, talk to some folks. And, you know, might be a little bit interested. You know, kind of start this process right now. Is, is that when the interest for USC started? Were you looking to leave regardless in terms of, well, you know, if if it ain't USC, I mean. There's LSU. Now, he said that I'm not going to be the coach at LSU, this, and the other. But that stuff with USC becoming the next head coach was already in the works. So what I'm trying to ask and what I'm trying to find out is that was it a situation where, look, Lincoln Riley was just getting tired of Oklahoma, and he said he needed a new change. He needed a new challenge. What what change and what challenge are we talking about? If you want a new challenge, go to Washington State and try to rebuild that program. If you want a new challenge, go to Vanderbilt and try to re, try to rebuild that program. If you want a new challenge, you were going to get a new challenge. You were going to be going to the SEC in a couple of years. What bigger challenge is there to go against Nick Saban, to go against uh Kirby Smart, to go against those guys? That's the ultimate challenge. So what challenge are we talking about? What itch needed to be scratched? I don't know. He was only there 5 years i remember when steve spurrier left florida to go to the washington football team it was like hey look man i got sick and tired of fans bitching and moaning when you know i went 12 and 1 and didn't win a national championship and i wanted to always see what it would be like to coach in the uh, nfl okay that's cool i understand that but lincoln riley went from norman oklahoma to usc or southern california los angeles california for usc huh, I'm just interested to find out what the hell is going on. Now, look, someone's going to, you know, offer you a situation where, you know, the buyout or the contract is somewhere around $110 million. There were reports that USC bought both homes in Norman that um, Riley lived in for $500,000 over the asking price, which equals a $1 million bonus, which that report has been refuted. Um, I don't know how... You know, there's also reports that uh, USC is buying a $6 million home for him in L.A., unlimited use of a private jet 24-7 for his family. So, I mean, that's, that's great, but that 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 can't be like, okay, I'm done. I mean, $110 million in Los Angeles, what does that equate to in Norman, Oklahoma? USC buying both his homes? Okay, we that, that report was garbage. But, you know, if if Lincoln Riley wanted new digs, Oklahoma couldn't buy him a better house if he wanted it. How much use does he have for a, a jet? I mean, I'm quite sure that if he wanted a jet to fly a family around, I'm quite sure Oklahoma would accommodate him for Or, or maybe maybe it wouldn't. Maybe he wouldn't. And maybe Riley was like, well, you know what? Screw you then. The question is also now that Riley has become, Lincoln Riley has become the coach for usc i want to ask this question i want to uh talk about this here on wendell's world of sports the podcast with George truly wendell wallace now with riley going from oklahoma to usc which is the biggest move in college football in a long time in a long long time but we've had Urban Meyer come back from retirement and Chris Peterson going from Boise State to uh, Washington. We've we've had some interesting moves, but nothing, nothing like this. So the question is, can Lincoln Riley do for Pac-12 football what Urban Meyer did for the Big Ten back when he was hired by Ohio State in 2011? Because if you remember when there was a really good article on ESPN about this, Adam Rittenberg, when Urban Meyer retired. He was speaking about the impact that um, Urban Meyer had on the Big Ten. You remember when he was hired by Ohio State back in 2011, the Big Ten was very similar to the Pac-12 as far as relevance was concerned. There was none. The league's highest rated team in the BCS standings that year in 2011 in the Big Ten was Wisconsin. They were ranked number 10. Nobody else was even sniffing anything. No Big Ten football team played in the national championship game for the fourth consecutive season. Penn State was dealing with that whole Jerry Sandusky nonsense. They were weeks removed from firing Joe Paterno or, or Joe Paterno being fired. Ohio State was, was was losing seven games that season, the first time since 1897. The conference had a 4-6 and six bowl record the league's eighth non-winning record during bowl season in nine years. The conference was nothing. The conference was a joke. The conference was an afterthought. The conference was the ACC without Clemson. The recruiting classes for 2012 for the Big Ten, no, uh, n- no uh, uh, team outside of Ohio State and Michigan were even in the top 25 Ohio State was number six, Michigan was number seven, and that's it. No team was in the top five. And we're speaking about the Big Ten when Urban Meyer got there. So guess what? When Urban Meyer got there from Florida, and he was used to going up against Nick Saban, he was used to winning championships, he was used to competing at the highest level, and he was a Tasmanian devil when it came to recruiting. He forced these Big 12 programs or these Big Ten programs to say, you know what, man? We got to step up our games because guess what, Urban Meyer and you know going fifty-four and four and winning a national championship, you know, but you know Urban Meyer is going to embarrass all of us. I mean, he's going to make what Dabo Sweeney is for Clemson against the other teams in the ACC for football. He's going to make that look, he's going to make that look like child's play, and we don't go ahead and step up our games. So Urban Meyer who came in and said, look, you know, I know there was some old school stuff going on in terms of recruiting is concerned. Like if a, if a recruit commits to you that, you know, you should leave him alone and not contact him. Bullshit. That's going to change. That's going to change my man, because that is no longer going to be happening. Guess what? Urban Meyer would like the hell with that. So you know what you boys better get yourself ready. So the big, tw- big 10, then all of a sudden went ahead and said, you know what? we got to start hiring some folks of consequence. Well, that's when guys like Jim Harbaugh, James Franklin, P.J. Fleck, Scott Frost, Lovey Smith, all of a sudden now we have these names from these schools being hired as football coaches that said, you know what, we're going to step up our game. We have to step up our game. We can't go ahead and go after the Rick Rodriguezes of the world. We can't go ahead and, go and, get, go, and, and get those type of guys anymore. We can't go ahead and bullshit around. We can't do that anymore. We can't go ahead and get ourselves the new offensive coordinator from a mid-tier school anymore. Michigan had to step up their game and get Jim Harbaugh. Penn State had to step up their game and get James Franklin. Minnesota had to step up their game and get P.J. Fleck. Nebraska had to go ahead and get a proven winner in Scott Frost, even though... That hasn't turned out the way it, uh, many people had hoped. Illinois went ahead and got themselves Lovey Smith, another uh, acquisition that didn't work, but it was something where Lovey Smith, pro football experience, Super Bowl, um, had, you know, had the Chicago Bears in the Super Bowl, thinking outside the box. You know, nothing safe, nothing uh, bland, nothing pale. Almost every program built or upgraded its facilities once Urban Meyer was hired and the personnel department grew. All of a sudden, Urban Meyer triggered these Big Ten schools to step up their game. So can Lincoln Riley do the same? Because Northwestern had a joke of facilities until around Urban Meyer coming to Ohio State. Then all of a sudden, they went ahead and built a lakefront uh, palace which drew national acclaim. Wisconsin, Purdue, places that had you know, below average facilities, all of a sudden they made major improvements and major strides. Why? Because urban Meyer was coming into town and they knew what urban Meyer was bringing from Florida. And they knew that they were going to get lapped in the laughed at if they didn't make the changes that they needed to make. Is Lincoln Riley going to have that same type of impact on the PAC 12? Because Washington state knows who Lincoln Riley is. Oregon state knows who Lincoln Riley is. Um, Stanford knows who Lincoln Riley is. California knows who Lincoln Riley is. Damn sure UCLA. Damn sure knows who Lincoln Riley is. So are they going to do the things that they need to do? All of a sudden now, if I'm David Shaw, I'm getting a little bit nervous. If I'm Chip Kelly, I'm getting a little bit nervous. Because all of a sudden now, we've got someone who's going to be like, look, man, we've got to keep up. Because if we don't, Lincoln Riley is going to recruit the tail." off of us and he's gonna have that team rocking and rolling like no one's business. It could be Pete Carroll on steroids if Lincoln Riley gets this thing going. So we've gotta do some 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 situations. So name me a Pac twelve team worth a damn outside of Oregon and Utah. Not much there. Not much there. So the Pac-12 hasn't been relevant for years. You had a pretty good stretch where you had Chip Kelly at Oregon, you had uh, Scott Peterson at uh, Washington, and you had Davis Shaw for a few years at uh, Stanford. Jim Harbaugh uh, handing the baton off to Davis uh, Shaw, and you had Stanford doing some things for a little bit. But outside of that, nothing. Outside of that, crickets in the last three years, in the last couple of years, yeah, you had Oregon, but that's it. And where's Oregon right now? Is Oregon playing for the national championship? Oregon was number three, but what happened? They got got their asses whooped by Utah, who lost a couple of games. Now USC, the number one college football product and the number two media market in the country. Goodness gracious, they're going to make their impact. Because let's take a look, man. ESPN calculated that 30 of the 143 California-based players listed on its top 300 recruiting rankings over the past five years, only 30 went to USC. 30 of the 143 California-based players went to USC. Bryce Young didn't go to USC. Um, uh, CJ Stroud didn't go to USC. Uh, who else? What other major quarterback? DJ uga Ungale from Clemson. He didn't go to USC. All of these guys are from California. Now, guess what with Urban Meyer? Excuse me. Guess what with Lincoln Riley? Guess what players five-star recruits are going to be staying and playing for USC once Lincoln Riley gets this machine rolling. We're just not talking about quarterbacks either. We're talking about skilled players. We're talking about wide receivers. We're talking about running backs. We're talking about the Los Angeles County that has a bevy of really good football players. They're not going to be going up to Oregon. They're not going to be going across the country to Clemson, Oral, or going up um, to the Midwest in Ohio State or going down south to Texas. Guess what? A destination place where people, where players were going of impact for a college football team, Oklahoma, that's going to be out of play. Why? Because the reason why they were going to Oklahoma to play for that squad was because of the tradition and, most importantly, Lincoln Riley. All of a sudden, now that man is on the West Coast and in, in California and in Southern California. A huge, 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 huge get and this is really great for college football awesome for college football because as I mentioned before name me a reason if you're a lukewarm or just solid college football fan living on the east coast living in the south living in the midwest give me a reason why you should stay up until 10 o'clock to watch the Pac-12 after dark before Lincoln Riley came to USC over the past couple of years give me a reason why who are you going to be watching Arizona State versus Utah Who are you going to be watching? Arizona versus Colorado? Who are you going to watch? Washington State and Washington in the Apple Cup? Do you even give a damn? Do any of these rivalries mean anything to you? Washington and Washington State, Stanford and California, USC and UCLA, Arizona and Arizona State, do any of these rivalries even mean anything? Do you even know about them outside of maybe USC and UCLA? Do you even give a damn anymore? Now all of a sudden, urban, um, Lincoln riley coming into town motivates these other programs hopefully for them to do some things for them to uh, go ahead and uh make the uh, conference relevant again so there you go man wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us we, we kind of know we, we we know why brian kelly left um notre dame i mean it's kind of like i want to win the championship And I'm tired of being bogged down. I'm tired of being tied down. I'm tired of uh, dealing with the bullshit, which comes with me getting players that can compete with the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Ohio States and the Clemsons and those type of teams yeah, it, it's great that we can go ahead and be independent and we can go ahead and beat up on the Virginia Techs and beat up on the Akron's and beat up beat up on the Ball States and beat up on the Stanfords and beat up on those type of squads. But take a look at that schedule. Notre Dame is going to be getting into the, uh, Notre Dame has a possibility to be in the final four, correct? Right? Depending upon what happens with uh, Georgia and Alabama, depending upon what happens with um, <clears throat> Cincinnati and Houston, depending upon, what happens with Iowa and Michigan, depending upon what happens with Baylor and Oklahoma State, right? Notre Dame has a chance to play in the uh, semifinals. Who in the fuck has Notre Dame beaten this year of any consequence? I mean, we sit there and we laugh at the, um, you know, at the performance overall of Oklahoma or Oklahoma State and others. Who in the hell has Notre Dame beaten? Who? So when they get in and they play Georgia, in all likelihood, they're going to get their asses kicked. Why? Because of their schedule and the fact they haven't done anything, right? Correct. So it's a matter of what Brian Kelly is like, yeah, I'm I'm happy that we're getting into the college football playoffs. I'm happy that we're getting ourselves in a position to do that. But man, you know what? I'm kind of getting sick and tired of going up and playing these top-ranked teams and then getting our asses whooped and embarrassed in the national championship game. So this just take for instance that you know oh i can't believe brian kelly left for lsu and he's leaving notre dame in the lark and notre dame has a chance to play in the national championship or play for the national championship well if you're notre dame if you're brian kelly you're like what i'm leaving an opportunity to what make the playoffs and be the fourth seed and, and lose 56 to nothing against georgia that's gonna be our deal that's gonna be our hip hip parade. that's gonna be my reason to stay now could it have been a situation where it's kind of like, like lsu look I want you, you want me. Let's just hold off for a few days. Let's just kind of go ahead. And, I mean, let it, let me at least see if we're going to make the playoffs or not before I go ahead and, you know, make it official, right? I mean, you're LSU. You got me. Anybody else that you're going to, you ain't going to get Luke Fickle. You ain't going to get Jimbo Fisher. Besides those two, who else is going to be a better candidate than me? And I want to come. We have agreed, in terms of principle that yes we're going to have this relationship me as your head coach for this football team so let's wait five days no big deal I don't mind lying to the uh, public I don't mind lying to my team I don't mind lying to the press and the media we're cool with that right until ultimately we get our guy look this shit is never this was was never going to be an opportune time This was never going to be the best time. Brian Kelly deciding that he was going to go to LSU, there was never going to be the quote-unquote right time to do this. He was never going to look good in a situation because, I mean, hell, what happens if, let's just say best case scenario, Notre Dame gets in because their season's over. They're not playing another game, another regular season game, right? So let's just say that Notre Dame gets into the playoffs, and oh my goodness gracious, they shock the world and they beat Georgia. And then in the championship game, they beat either Michigan or um, Alabama. And, you know, strike up the band. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish are the 2021 national champions. And then two days later, Brian Kelly gets up and says, I'm leaving for LSU. <laughs> he's just like what the fuck how the hell can you go to LSU and you just won a championship at Notre Dame one of the most prestigious universities in football program in the history of the sport (laughs) you're gonna be leaving to go to LSU when you just won a championship what's up with that are you fucking nuts so that's the best case scenario if he's you know, if he wants to keep this quiet, if Brian Kelly wants to keep this quiet, I'm going to LSU, but, you know, let's keep it quiet until the time is right. There is no right time because if Notre Dame gets into the uh, semifinals and then gets their asses handed to them by Georgia, then 24, 48 hours after that happened, he says, yeah, I'm the uh, coach for LSU. I'm leaving to go to uh, coach the uh, LSU squad. Then what's everybody going to say? Well, shit, no wonder L- uh, L- uh, uh, Notre Dame got their asses whooped. Yeah, had a coach who was mentally checked out because he was going to be the next coach at LSU. He didn't give his team any type of... How long was he thinking about going to LSU? How can you prepare to play a team like Georgia when your mind is already in Baton Rouge in terms of taking over another program? So there was never a good time for Brian Kelly to announce this. There was never a good time for Brian, Brian Kelly to uh, go ahead and make this decision in terms of appeasing uh, Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame players and such. So... You know, but he's now the head coach at LSU. He's not gonna be coaching Notre Dame regardless of what happens. According to a term sheet USA Today sports received from the school Tuesday night, uh, he's set to receive just over a hundred million dollars in base compensation for over ten years. Very nice. Maybe that's another reason why he decided to say, you know what, I'm sixty years old and uh I'm no I don't want to be coaching forever. LSU gives me the best chance to win a championship and I'm gonna be getting paid so, why not? So, his pay is categorized as $400,000 in base annuals, base salary annually, supplemental compensation that begins at an annual rate of $8.6 million, and a $500,000 longevity payment that he will receive if he is on the job each day uh, starting July 1st. The start date, as I mentioned before, no later than November 28th in the first year of Ends December 31st, 2023. Yeah. Brian Kelly wanted a chance to win a championship and get paid. Period. He saw Les Miles winning a championship. He said he saw Ed Orgeron winning a championship. And he says, if those two motherfuckers who have a combined 47 to 66 record outside of those championship seasons can uh, win at LSU, what in the hell do you think I'm going to do? If Les Miles, if Ed Orgeron can win a championship at LSU, Just imagine what I can do, you know, so that's just basically it, it's all about winning a championship, and now he brings discipline, and now he has a situation where, I mean, you know, look, the whole, is he going to be fitting, is a a guy from the Midwest who uh, can be somewhat abrasive sometimes, Uh, not the most, uh, shall we say, uh, you know, uh, cuddly type of guy, how how is a guy like that going to be fitting down in a state like Baton rouge in louisiana and such hey man if you win they don't give a fuck less miles was from michigan and they tolerated him eating grass and acting like a jerk and saying goofy stuff all the time you know ed orgeron was, was there any more and there anyone more louisiana than ed orgeron how quickly did they turn on him when he didn't win so if you win believe me they'll be cheering and dancing in the street like Martin the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie, you win, don't worry about it we don't give a damn what your religion is we don't give a damn where you're from we don't give a damn what you sound like, we don't give a damn what your personality is, this is flipping LSU for God's sakes they went to the, you know, fan base went to the uh, went to the depths of hell and sold their soul to sit there and, you know, back Will Wade, the biggest cheater and scumbag in college basketball and that's saying something You know, the man was caught cheating red-handed, and they were like, "No, no, no, no! Can't fire Will Wade. He's the man. Why? Because he was winning games at LSU, and that's basketball." I mean, just think about you know how much leeway and how much love and support Brian Kelly is going to get when he starts implementing his philosophy and his program to LSU, when they start competing and beating Alabama, Nick Saban. Hello, that man can go ahead and rob a bank and murder a couple of people, and they'd be like, "No, that's okay. He's fine. He's cool." He beat, uh, he, we won a national championship, championship beat, uh, Alabama, and have a top two recruiting class coming in. He can kill as many people as he wants to. Shit. He can go ahead and, you know, he can, you know, he can make Danny Rawlings look like fucking, uh, Pope John for all we give a fuck. You know, he can make Ted Bundy look like Martin Luther King Jr. We don't give a fuck. As long as he keeps winning, we can kill as many co-eds and strangle as many, uh, um, um, uh, people and 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 have sex with as many boys as we as as possible we don't give a damn we're fucking lsu where are morals and scruples so uh that was it so you know um brian kelly gave a 10 minute speech or gave a 10 minute uh see you later to uh the team and at uh, notre dame and now notre dame's upset and they're pissed off and everything hey man you know Welcome to life, you'll you'll get over it, believe me. The players, it's it, one thing that we know. One thing is another. Just example of welcome to real life, right? Is that the bottom line when it comes to college athletics for players, coaches, administrators, whatever, everyone associated with the sport, everyone associated with you know basketball, baseball, football, hockey, track gymnastics tennis lacrosse whatever you do whatever you play it if you play it at a high level and there's a professional sport for that sport that you can go to everyone associated with that sport is first and foremost looking out for themselves first second third and fourth it's a business this is not some bullshit bringing it back to football there's no brotherhood There's no going to war with your brothers. There's no forming this lifelong bond, this, that, and the other. All of those things might be fine and all those things might happen. But believe me, first, second, and third, when it comes down to making the decision, which is going to affect you or the team, people are going to be going with themselves and it doesn't matter if you're a player it doesn't matter if you're a coordinator it doesn't matter if you're an administrator and it doesn't matter if you're a coach if you can get a better deal that's going to help you you're going to be going and damn everybody else and that's the way it should be i ain't mad at anybody if players who are going to be playing with the star quarterback if joe burrow a couple of years ago playing in a national championship game the day before said you know what fellas i'm gonna get ready for the uh, nfl draft i've uh, done all i needed to do to become the number one draft pick and i'm definitely not gonna fuck things up by playing in the national championship game i'm out good luck to you there would be outrage there would be people talking about how fucking selfish this guy is and what a horrible human being he is and this is terrible and the me generation and this generation are nothing but a bunch of spoiled selfish blah 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 and blee 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 and you would have jackasses on espn and fox and the shannon the skip show and everybody talking about how horrible and selfish and egotistical joe burrow is but i would be sitting up there saying you know what joe when it comes to this decision, if you feel that this is the right decision for you, and it gives you the best chance to make as much money as possible for you, and it helps you out and your family out, the hell with everybody else, my man. The hell with everybody else. And these fucking coaches who sit up there and talk about, you know, oh yeah, this, that, and the other, uh, uh, you know, we, we, you know we, we form a bond and all that. Bullshit. 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 Brian Kelly... Lincoln Riley are two of the latest that are like you know what I gotta do what's best for me sorry fellas that's just the way it goes so it's all about a game it's all about looking after themselves so you do what's best for you not for your team not for your coach I don't give a damn what it is so what's next for Oklahoma and Notre Dame trying to find their coaches. I don't know, man. Possible candidates: Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle. He looks to be almost like lockstep and barrel in terms of a good fit at Notre Dame. Clemson Brent Venables has been linked to Oklahoma in terms of that would be a good fit. Mark Stoops, Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator of um, <clears throat> defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, the only black candidate there. Again, we're ha- we're speaking about you know jobs that are open, jobs that were open but now are filled. If you're speaking about Washington, if you're speaking about Virginia Tech, it's not like, you know, Notre Dame, Oklahoma are the only two teams that need college coaches. But you mentioned – but, you know, once again I mentioned there's no one of color that's even being sniffed, that's even being considered outside of Marcus Freeman, which is another, you know, topic that we could discuss at a later date. But, you know, Mark Stoops, coach at Kentucky – I like Kyle Whittingham over at Utah. I think that he's a coach that should get some serious looks. If you're going to give Matt Campbell a look, why not uh, Kyle Whittingham? Have him say no. He enjoys Utah. So if, if I'm you know from Oklahoma, why not investigate Kyle Whittingham? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It might be a bad fit. I don't know. I'm just speaking out of my ass on that one. So yeah, college football is topsy turvy. It's just wild. It's crazy, and uh, we haven't even got to the we haven't even got the championship. Uh, weekend we haven't even got to bowl season Oh yes College football always intriguing Always interesting always mind Blowing always head Scratching but most of all Always gives us material To talk about <music> wendell's world in sports i'm your host Wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us spoke about the nfl segment one spoke about what's happening in college football the topsy-turvy world of the college football coaches in segment two now let's talk about what's happening in terms of the final four the outside looking in folks the new final four for the College football playoffs were announced on Tuesday. Georgia remains number one. Michigan number two. Alabama number three. Cincinnati number four on the outside. Looking in, we've got Oklahoma at number five. And Notre Dame at number six. Big movers. Michigan over that beatdown over Ohio State. This this week has been so crazy. With Lincoln, Lincoln Riley going to USC. With Brian Kelly going to LSU. All this stuff that went down, man. We haven't even really put in the effort to talk about the beatdown that Ohio State experienced at Michigan, man. What does it mean? What does it mean long-term? It's almost like Jim Harbaugh really didn't have the spotlight on him long enough to really prance and to really prance and to really stick his chest out and really talk about, yeah, told you bitches. Y'all talking about it couldn't beat Michigan State. Y'all talking about it couldn't beat Ohio State. Well, you're still right about Michigan State, but who's the man that couldn't win a big game? It's amazing. It's enough, you know, you get enough. As, you, as Denzel Washington would say in his graduate speech to the folks at Fordham, you know, you hang around the barbershop long enough, sooner or later you're finally going to get a cut. I get, you know, sooner or later, Michigan was going to beat Ohio State, and Really, the seeds were planted in terms of you take a look at some of the weaknesses that Ohio State had and some of the strength that Michigan had. It was almost like, yeah, normally I would be a little bit more confident in Michigan beating Ohio State, but I know the past history between Ohio State and Michigan. So because of that, while my brain is telling me that, you know what, that running game from Michigan is pretty fierce, you know, and Ohio State has been susceptible from teams doing some work on them in terms of that area and we really haven't seen you know Ohio State against a physical team a big team like Michigan and what that's going to do and the inconsistencies at the um, at the uh, offensive line and the strength that was the Michigan's defensive line the offensive line for Ohio State being inconsistent that could be a huge advantage for Michigan and when you're speaking about one advantage being so large in terms of the offensive line for Ohio State going up against the defensive line for Michigan and then on the other side of the football the offensive line from Ohio State excuse me offensive line for Michigan going up against the defensive line for Ohio State man this could be something to where something like this could happen and guess what it happened so say goodbye to the chances for Ohio State to uh, win a national championship and I'm not saying anything crazy like oh like Ryan Day needs to be fired or something stupid like that but you know Ohio State Ohio State might be the last blue blood great team over the past couple of years that haven't won a championship. Where we keep referencing when we speak about the elite of the elite in college football. When Lincoln Riley had Oklahoma, he was, you know, that football, the Ohio, um, Oklahoma football was also mentioned in that, you know, the teams that we always think about when we think about the haves and the have nots for. Uh, college football and we've always mentioned Alabama where Alabama has won multiple championships. We speak about Clemson. Clemson has won multiple championships. We speak about, um, you know, we speak about LSU. LSU won a championship. But when we speak about Ohio State under Ryan Day, they haven't won a championship yet. They've been very successful, Big Ten championships and such. I mean, as far as the Midwest is concerned, that's Ohio State's territory. But they still haven't won a championship. They've made the championship game. Whoop damn do. If you're Ohio State, and you have the expectations and you have the responsibilities that Alabama has in terms of winning championships is concerned. He hasn't gotten there yet. So I'm not saying that, you know, Ryan Day needs to be fired or some stupid shit like that. But I'm I'm just kinda I'm just kinda interested to see what the temperature is like in terms of uh this loss to uh, Michigan, their arch rivals, because sometimes when you talk about overreacting, losing to Michigan, losing to your arch rivals the way that Ohio State did, it's not going to bring the temperature to a boil immediately. But, you know, the water is getting hot and the temperature just raised a little bit. So when is it going to get to the point where all of a sudden now Ryan Day had to win a championship in two or three years and people are going to be sitting around talking about, hey, man. You know, what's up with this? Now, it's also also nice that Ryan Day is only making, and I say only, making $6.5 million. Ryan Day also might be another situation where it's kind of like, hey, look, man. I see what Mel Tucker just got. I see what Brian Kelly just got. I saw what Lincoln Riley just got. I, I, I see what James Franklin just got. I mean, I beat the pants off of James Franklin almost every year, and now he gets himself a $10 million contract, which is going to make him one of the highest-paid coaches in football. Mel Tucker won nine games, maybe 10 games, one year, and all of a sudden he's getting 9 point million. dollars. Man, what am I going to get paid? I'm only making $6 million a year. What am I going to get paid? What am I going to get paid like a superstar? What am I going to get paid like I have a football program that's consistently ranked as one of the elites in college football? 6.5 or 6 point whatever ain't making it. If I'm Ryan Day, hey, you know what? Now the situation might be where where else is Ryan Day going to go? Well, you know, didn't they say the same thing about Lincoln Riley? Now, look, Florida, Notre Dame, Florida, Notre Dame, uh, USC, huge programs, those type of programs don't open up every single year. So it ain't like, you know, in the next couple of years, hell. I mean, where could Ryan Day even go as far as the lateral move is concerned that would be comparable to Ohio State? I mean, what, Alabama? They ain't going nowhere. I don't know. I mean, maybe (laughs) maybe it's a situation. Remember I was speaking about, you know, how the Pac-12 needs to up its game in terms of, you know, the Lincoln-Riley effect that some of these Programs, some of these football programs in the Pac-12 need to like go for home run hires. Hell, if I'm, I don't know how much money these guys have. I don't know how much money they can get. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But if I'm UCLA, (laughs) why not? Why not? All the man can say is no. I mean, if I could somehow, I don't, like I said, I don't know how much. UCLA can uh, garner up in terms of money or contract or perks are concerned, but if I can, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I'm just thinking outside the box here. I'm just thinking out loud. I mean, shit. If I can get somehow, some way, somebody to pay Ryan Day nine million somewhere around there for UCLA, I, I you you got to at least call him up, right? you got to at least get in contact with his agent, right? And they can easily say, nah, man, we're good. <laughs> I, I I appreciate the offer and everything like that, but nah, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking at Ohio State. Thanks. Thanks anyway. I appreciate it. I mean, don't you have to kind of do your due diligence with that, with Ryan Day? Again, he's making $6 million. He's making around $6 million a year. Jane Franklin just got paid. Mel Tucker just got paid. Brian Kelly just got paid. Lincoln Riley just got paid Billy Napier just got paid Taking a job at Florida These coaches are getting paid What am I going to get paid All of a sudden now being a top five school All of a sudden now that's no good All of a sudden now that's chump change All of a sudden what I've done Only garners six point something million dollars a year I'm just saying I'm just saying If I'm one of these Pac-12 teams, I'm just saying. Again, I don't know how much money these guys can get. I don't know. But I know Washington just got themselves a coach. Again, I don't know how much money they can garner up. I don't know how much money they can collect. I don't know what kind of contract they can give them. Maybe a situation where to get Ryan Day out of Ohio State, is just way too much money for a team like Oregon State or Washington or California, or I mean, some of these schools are private institutions. So a Stanford, who you know, really they—they're not going to pay that type of money for a football coach or any type of uh, athletic coach. So you know, I'm thinking UCLA maybe. I don't know. I'm thinking the Colorado. I don't know. I'm thinking. I don't know. I don't know. But it's just as I mentioned before, Ryan Day only making six million dollars a year. Interesting. Why did I get off and speaking about this when I only got a certain amount of time to be speaking about what's happening? in the bowl situation. So, okay, for the last few minutes, here's what I'm going to do, man. We all know the situation. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Michigan. Number three, Alabama. Number four, Cincinnati, right? SEC championship game, Alabama at Georgia. The question's going to be, if Georgia and Alabama play a competitive game, what does that mean? There's so many what-ifs which is happening. So so basically, I think the biggest fear is we don't want to see a two-loss Alabama team in the championship at the expense of at the expense of Cincinnati if they win out all their games, which I don't think that's going to happen. But the biggest fear would be if Oklahoma State beats Baylor, right? So if Oklahoma State, who's currently number five, beats Baylor, and let's just say that Cincinnati looks mediocre, average, against Houston. Let's say against Houston, which is, what, top, between 20 and 25 uh, ranked in the country. Let's just say, for instance, that I don't know, man. Cincinnati through three quarters is, you know, in a competitive game with with Houston. And then let's say that Oklahoma State is decisive in their victory against Baylor. You don't think that the committee is going to maneuver Oklahoma State over Cincinnati and then use the who have they played and how they look recently argument <clears throat> after Oklahoma State beat, quote-unquote, one of the Blue Bloods at uh, uh, with with Oklahoma and then winning the Big 12 championship you don't think that committee is going to use that as a reason to say well I mean you know Big 12 champions beat AAC champions so that's the biggest deal but then again what happens again if Georgia beats excuse me Alabama beats Georgia then you have Georgia Alabama Michigan if they go ahead and beat Iowa they're the number three squad again it comes down to Iowa State and it comes down to Cincinnati and it might be a situation where you know what there's really nothing Cincinnati can do win they could probably they maybe win 63 to nothing and it might be a situation where there's really nothing that they can do so it'll be a uh, interesting look everything's interesting in my life huh man the NFL this Sunday interesting the college football coaching carousel interesting the playoffs the championship conference championship games interesting the seedings for the playoffs interesting everything is interesting in my life except for me i'm not interesting i'm very boring i'm very boring because all i do is sit around and watch interesting things but i will say as we go to break as i get down and boogie a little bit get down with a little smoothness of my break college football championship weekend is gonna be what quite interesting I'm not the one Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World in Sports. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to make this rather quick, just really quickly. i to hit on the NBA game from last night, the game of the season so far. They're going to play like another two times in the next, I don't know, three weeks or some stuff like that, or the next, they're going to play Christmas, and then they're going to play on Friday. I'm speaking about the Phoenix Suns and the uh, Golden State Warriors, put on a nice little show last night in... Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, beating the uh, Suns, beating the Golden State Warriors, one hundred four to ninety six. The Warriors losing, and the Suns winning for the seventeenth straight time, which ties a team record, and it matches uh, Golden State's record so far of eighteen and three, best record in the NBA. No team led by double digits throughout the game. Uh, excellent win by. Phoenix, when you're thinking about Devin Booker, had to uh, leave the game midway through the second quarter because of a hamstring injury. Uh, the 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 ability for Phoenix to work the ball inside, DeAndre Ayton had a great game. The ability to use the physicality basically to do what Milwaukee did to them in the NBA Finals uh, last uh, season, especially after the uh, first two wins by Phoenix, to basically dominate the boards, basically get the ball in low, use their physicality, use their size, use their length, Mikel Bridges did an awesome job on Steph Curry Steph Curry had an off night shooting but uh, he was basically he was definitely flustered by the size and the length, the width and the athleticism all combined in the 6'6", 6'7", Mikel Bridges so off night for Stephen Curry but uh, it was a good game it was a solid game, a lot of uh, energy a lot of passion, a lot of enthusiasm um, you know, pool started off pretty hot but he cooled down after a while but as I mentioned before the Ability of the Phoenix Suns to go inside on a consistent basis, really getting DeAndre Ayton involved in the offense, scoring down low, um, proved to be uh, huge, proved to be huge. And moving forward now, when you're thinking about, um, you know, a possibility of a Western Conference Finals or meeting sometime in the playoffs, the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors, you know, Ayton coming through with 24 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists, um, the fact that, again, speaking from a statistical standpoint, he shot, um, what did he shoot, 11 for 19 from the field, when you take a look at the uh, rebounding numbers for him, it was uh, it was quite impressive, quite impressive, you know, and then, as I mentioned before, Steph Curry going four for 21, three of 14 from the three-point range, again, it's not going to be happening on a consistent basis, but again, the fact that he only scored two points, Mikhail Bridges was one of the MVPs of the game uh, because of the time that he spent guarding curry in his 41 minutes and he was a plus 21 and the plus and minus ratio so cameron johnson coming off the bench to score 14 good victory good victory all around for the warriors and as i mentioned before now moving forward uh you know we got some uh true uh we got some true validity in terms of you know the phoenix this wasn't a lucky fluke, and I understand the fact that you know Phoenix has been down and out, and they've been downtrodden, and they've been embarrassment, and they've been dysfunctional as a organization, as a franchise for so long to turn it around all in one year without getting an acquisition like LeBron James, a free agent acquisition the caliber of a LeBron James, or drafting someone with the Uh, historical impact of a Tim Duncan right away that changed the fortunes around of a team that quickly. Normally, it doesn't happen. I mean, Devin Booker is a solid piece. Chris Paul is a solid piece. But those guys are far from generational superstars, which many people would think you would need to turn teams around or to turn this around. This wasn't a situation like Brooklyn, where if they in one off season got themselves a Kevin Durant or a Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving or when LeBron D. Wade and Chris Bosch went down to Miami to rescue the fortunes of the Miami Heat. Now, basically this was a turnaround that no one saw coming from Uh, two seasons ago to last season with the Phoenix Suns getting all the way to the NBA championship and then the continuation of their success. Many people were pointing to the fact that, hey, when the first round they played the Lakers, they were about to go down and lose when Anthony Davis got injured. And on top of that, LeBron never really recovered from his high ankle sprain. And then you go to the next round against the Denver Nuggets and the Nuggets were playing without Jamal Murray. And then they go to the next round where they're playing against the um, Los Angeles Clippers and the Clippers were out without Kawhi Leonard so basically the narrative was that the Phoenix Suns lucked themselves into the NBA Finals and finally got their comeuppance by playing against the um, Milwaukee Bucks well, they returned 80% of their scoring and rebounding and such, didn't make too many um, changes to their lineup, Monty Williams, proving again that he's a solid elite coach uh, for the past couple of years. And now we see what the Phoenix Suns are doing. Chris Paul making sure that in crunch time that things get done. Phoenix, by far and away, is the best crunch uh, crunch time team in the NBA. They can beat you in many ways in terms of moving the ball, getting the ball down low to... Uh, DeAndre Ayton. The mid-range game with Chris Paul and Devin Booker is devastating. They have three-point weapons and they need to, especially with Cam Johnson coming off the bench. Um, The backup minutes that JaVale McGee is giving DeAndre Ayton, one of the main uh, bugaboos that plagued the Phoenix Suns in the finals against the Milwaukee Bucks. He's come in and been a solid veteran to give Ayton, who's missed some games because of injury as such. He's filled in quite well and Now, getting him back to where he's going to be his um, uh, best fit for the team, which is backup center for Aiton. Hey, man, barring some type of uh, injury and, you know, Booker, hamstring injury. Chris Paul, we always have to have our fingers crossed, especially when playoff time comes around with his history of uh, injuries during that time period. You know, I I, I really can't see outside of something like that really derailing Phoenix from making a real run at the um, NBA championship. And I know, again, it's going to be a situation where on Friday, when they go to uh, San Francisco and play the Warriors on their home court, I'm quite sure this that is when the home streak or that's when the winning streak is going to end for the Phoenix Suns. But man, so far this season, the Warriors and the Suns, without question, the two best teams in the NBA. All right, I want to uh, end the podcast with this. Um... Got some uh, got some sad news Got some bad news uh, A great friend of mine And a broadcasting legend Out here in Las Vegas, Nevada Was uh, on the airwaves Early on in the 90's He was that uh, He was uh, Doing sports talk radio In Las Vegas For the longest of times uh, Valuable Invaluable Hall of Famer Frank Harnish Uh, Passed away uh, due to cancer at the age of 62. I can honestly say that uh, he was one of my best friends out here. And about, I don't know, during the whole George Floyd situation, me and him got into a little argument. It was silly. I had to stand my ground. He had to stand his ground. We're two stubborn people, very strong in our views. And uh, we stopped talking to each other. And, uh, you know, so when his passing came and everything that it was going through you know i i wasn't there i wasn't uh, able to uh, really tell him how i feel about him and uh, you know even though we stopped talking and our friendship the way it had been for 15 16 years had uh, ceased in that regard i never stopped caring for the guy never stopped uh, wanting what was best for the guy and uh, frank man frank was awesome frank was an awesome human being, man, he was a little gruff, he was a little rough, if you didn't know, if you didn't know, if you just went by the perception, um, he was a little gruff, but when you got to know him, uh, he was the greatest guy that you could ever meet, man, he was the most caring individual, out here in Vegas, you don't trust too many people, because people out here in Vegas, they always had some type of angle for them, everyone's trying to play a con, everyone's trying to play a game, so, you know, for most folks out here in Vegas, you just don't trust them. You really don't. Frank was one of the guys who very early with me, I could trust 100% because his heart was always there. And uh, he was always giving to a fault, unselfish to a fault, gave too much of himself. Um, And because of that, people took advantage of him. And the thing that pisses me off and the thing that makes me angry is Frank never got the ending to his life for the last uh, years of his life, which he should have had. Frank should have been a guy who should have... won a lottery made about 15 20 million dollars and never worked a day of a day in his life and do everything that he wanted to do because throughout his entire life from the day that he was born to the day that he he died he was always looking out for others he was always being concerned about others he was always taking care of others and no one really ever took care of him no one really ever appreciated Frank the way that people should appreciate him and uh you know the fact that you know as I mentioned before we we stopped talking our friendship the way it was ended, um, you know, when it did dealing with the uh, George Floyd situation, you know, it's uh, bittersweet, bittersweet. But uh, as I mentioned before, never stop caring about caring about him, and um, you know, I don't, I don't say this to too many people because just not too many people in my stratosphere and my ether and my life that I can say this to. But um, I can genuinely say that uh, up until now, I love Frank. I love Frank Harnish, and I'll never forget Frank Harnish. He was a big part of my life. Um, the last 15, 16, 17 years of my life, uh, we had great times together, man. It was fantastic. It was awesome. Every Whether we were yelling and screaming at each other, we were whether we were putting down each other, whether we were name-calling each other, whether we were doing all that kind of stuff, man, it really didn't matter, man, because he cared about me, and I cared about him. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day that's what true friendship is all about that what true love is all about so you know i mean no more pain for frank rest in paradise my man you definitely earned it man rest in paradise the hard work that you put in the selfishness unselfishness that you gave um you're going to be rewarded you're going to be rewarded forever forever so man you know enjoy my friend no more pain no more suffering no more nonsense no more bullshit It's all over, man. You can rest and you can finally reap the rewards that you so much deserve. All right? I love you, Frank. Definitely do. Music.